0: Well, today uh, we are continuing our series, uh, Good Sins, by exploring together the news that we who are in Christ live by the Spirit. Now, I want to just begin by acknowledging, I debated whether or not I wanted to go here today and I, I just did it. Uh, and, and what I think is, I just want to acknowledge, I think of all the topics in our series, I think this is the one we probably, we probably understand and appreciate the least, we know we should appreciate it, we know that the apostles made a big deal out of it, but I think we struggle to fully grasp how dramatically this truth, that we live by the Spirit, was meant to change the way we live as the people of God. And maybe I'm just projecting here, but I, I'm, I suspect I'm not alone. I mean, do we really picture life by the Spirit at the end of the day to look that much different than living according to the law? to the Torah? What is so good then? What is so different about life by the Spirit? Well, here's what this means for you this morning. I want to spend probably the first two-thirds of my sermon trying to answer that question more clearly, to remind us uh, to lay out exactly why the gift of the Spirit was such a great gift and a blessing. And to do that, I'm going to need to take some time to look at the big picture of the human condition across different parts of salvation history. So I created a little chart. You have it in your bulletin. We're going to put each column up on our screen here this morning, one at a time, to help us compare three periods across salvation history. The first period is post-fall, so after Adam and Eve, but before the giving of the Torah, of the law in Exodus. Second period is post-Torah, in pre-Pentecost, and then the final period is Pentecost to the present. Uh, That's the period in which we live. Now, quick disclaimer, as you can see, this is a very sparse chart. Uh, We are not gonna have time, obviously, to address the full complexity of God's work in each of these periods. Uh, These aren't meant to be complete pictures. They're rough sketches. But my hope is that they will give us a greater appreciation For the gift of the Holy Spirit. That as we look across, compare across those columns, we can see why Paul and the other early believers rejoice so much in this great gift. Now, before I dive into my chart, I want to share with you a scenario that comes from my own family life that I'm guessing you can all relate to in one way or another, and that I'm going to use as we go forward uh, to make analogies to different sections of my chart. Uh, the scenario is something like this. Uh, it often comes about, uh, maybe we're at a grandma's house. This is a, this is a frequent thing that happens at grandma's houses, uh, grandma and grandpa, where uh, we, we have a big meal, and then some some dessert is presented, a huge cake or a plate. You know, it's it's six people, seven people, eight people, and we have a plate of 150 cookies put out, right? Because that's how grandmas do it. And, uh, and my kids look at us, and they say, can we have 15 cookies? And, and, and we, as parents, say, How about two cookies? Maybe three. We'll be generous, you can have three. Uh, and usually, uh, looking at this spread of cookies or at this giant cake, uh, they, they say, Well, why can't we just divide the cake into five pieces and each eat a fifth of the cake? Why can't we have 15 cookies? Uh, and we will say to and, they, and they, will, they will look at us, one of my children, inevitably, it, it changes. It's both of them, different times. Uh, they will look at me, and with righteous indignation, they will say, you know, when I'm a grown-up, when I'm a grown-up, I am going to eat as much dessert as I want all the time. And what I often say in response, I have a can, it happens often enough, I have a canned response to this situation. I will say, you know, when you are a grown-up, you can eat as much dessert as you want, but you won't. I tell them that to be an adult is to be able to eat all the dessert you want, but choose not to. That's almost the definition of mature adulthood. To be a mature adult is to have the freedom to choose, but the wisdom to choose wisely. Now, I tell you that story because... I'm guessing all of you know a kid like that or you perhaps were a kid like that yourself at some point in time. And so what you know is that children of a certain age left to their own devices would eat dessert all day long. They would eat 15 cookies, right? Uh, That's why God gave them parents. That's why that works. Children, especially when they're young, do not have a well-developed sense of what is good for themselves, They don't understand nutrition or long-term planning. And some of them, especially early on, don't even have a very well-developed sense of cause and effect. Even if they ate all those cookies and felt bad later, they wouldn't necessarily connect the two. Children simply on their own are not able to discern very often what is good for themselves or for others. And even if they could, even in those instances where they can, they don't always have the will to choose it. That, I think, is a fair approximation of the human condition in our first column post fall and pre Torah. You see, once sin entered the world, scripture tells us, once it entered human nature, it warped and wrecked. It broke our ability to make right moral judgments and then to choose them. After the fall, cut off from the presence of God, humanity lost its moral compass. It became much much harder for anyone to discern right from wrong and harder still to consistently choose what was right. We were, in many ways, like children, if children were left largely to their own plans and to manage their own lives. And that went, you have to, we have to say, just about as well as you would expect it would. Listen to Genesis 6, 5. So here we are, we're post-fall, pre-Torah, Genesis 6.5. This is right before the flood. God looks down and it says this: The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Man, that's a bleak situation. But again. When you factor in that everyone at this time has compromised moral judgment, that there's no Torah to show them the way, that there's no Holy Spirit, this is mostly what you get. Now, I want to offer one little caveat, which is it's not impossible, even then it was not impossible, to see what was right and to do it. A couple verses later, God will look down and he will look upon Noah with favor. So Noah, even then, even dealing with the effects of sin in his own life, even then, he was still created in the image of God. He still had creation to testify to the goodness and sovereignty of God. And so he was still able to see what was right and to choose it. But it must be said, that was a very, very hard road, and few people indeed managed to walk it. Here's how I would summarize this first column of our chart post-fall, pre-Torah. Because of the fall, humanity's moral judgment and will have been broken and warped. And in this period, humanity did not yet have the Torah. They had no specific instruction from God on how to live a righteous life. And the result was self-destruction, slavery to sin, and constant danger, physical and spiritual, That was life in Column 1. Not easy. Now, that's a dire situation, but for humanity, good news is on the horizon. A few chapters later, we read that God makes a covenant with Abraham, and over the preceding chapters of Genesis, God proceeds to confirm that covenant with his descendants, and ultimately, this culminates in Exodus, after God rescues, by this point, numerous descendants of Abraham from slavery in Egypt, He brings them out to Mount Sinai, and God makes a covenant with the whole people of Israel. And part of the great blessing of that covenant is the Torah, the law, the law of Moses, God's instruction for his people in how to live as his people. Now, I think we have to say that occasionally, for those of us who live in column three, like you and I, we look back on those people and we think, boy, how could they get so excited about the law? I mean, who, who would want to have all these instructions and commands and requirements that they now are, are obligated to keep? Who wants to be, to be burdened with all of that? Well, here's where I think the chart can help us. Go ahead and remind yourself of the alternative. Here in column two, humanity is still just as subject to the consequences of the fall, still stuck with a warped and broken moral judgment and will. And we've we just seen, we just saw from Genesis 6-5 where that leads. The Torah is a gift because it instructs Israel in right moral judgment and behavior. It, it, it does a couple things. It protects them from their own bent towards self-destruction. But it also teaches and trains them to live as God had created them to live. And, as Moses will say at the end of his life, if they will follow it, if they will follow it, the Torah will protect them from the self-destruction that is the natural consequence of sin. And it will set them on a path that leads to life. In Galatians three twenty-three to 24 the Apostle Paul, reflecting back on this stage in time, compares it what a surprise, to a child with a guardian. Listen to what he says, Galatians 3:23 to24. Paul says this: "Before the coming of faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to become to come would be revealed." So the law, he says, was our guardian. That came so that we might, until we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Look, Paul here explicitly refers to the Torah, the law, as Israel's guardian. Think back again now to my family scenario, right? The job of the parent in the scenario I shared with you is the one, is to say, this much dessert and no more. You may not like it. You may not appreciate it, you may not understand why that is good and right for you, but that's why you have me. I have the understanding that you don't. The Torah, Paul says, is the parent or guardian who says to Israel, stop living like this. You may not appreciate it, you may not like it, you may not even understand why it is good and right for you, but that is is why you have me. Trust that I know better than you do. Uh, I, several years ago, had a very memorable phone call with a friend of mine. <clears throat> uh, I, I can't remember if I called him or he called me, but I, you know we started out as you do. Hey, how's it going? And he said, well, pretty good. We just, we just dodged a major disaster here at my house. I said, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. What happened? He said, oh, it's not a big deal. Uh, his son who was, I think at the time, five years old, uh, had narrowly avoided um, injuring himself badly. I can't even remember what the specific instances or situation was, Uh, but it was something to the effect like his son had just taken off and started riding his bike in the street. Thankfully, his dad saw him, ran out, and and bodily hauled him out of the street before the cars could come by and hit him. And he said, uh, I said, man, that's crazy, does, does he do that often? <laughs> and he said, funny you should ask, yes, he does. That's why we have to keep a close eye on him. And then he said, it's very characteristic a phrasing of my friend that has always stuck with me. He said, you know, at this age, he's not very good at not dying. <laughs> Maybe you know some five-year-olds like that, right? Israel, living in the middle column, was very much in that situation, Their will and their judgment were still badly compromised by sin. But the great blessing of the Torah was that now they had a guardian, like my friend, that could protect them from the self-destruction of sin, that could teach them, hey, don't do that anymore in the future. Stop living like that or there'll be consequences and you won't like them this guardian could show them the path that leads to life. God's instruction, the psalmist will say, was a lamp for their feet and a light for their path. Man, when you are lost in the darkness, there is no, you are thankful for nothing like you are thankful for light. And they quite rightly understood God's Torah to be a great gift and a blessing. But of course... It's one thing to see the path, and it's another to walk it. And so it must be said that the Torah had its limits. It only helped if they actually followed its instruction, which they did not always do. But even then, I would contend to you, column two was still a much better place to be than column one. At least in column two, you had some light. At least in column two, you could clearly see the path that leads to life. You might still struggle to walk it, but at least you knew where it was. If they followed the Torah, Israel was protected from some of the damage of sin. So that's column two, post-Torah, pre-Pentecost. Let's turn our attention now to column three, final column. My hope is already, this has helped you see why someone like King David or or Saul of Tarsus would, would be so grateful, so thankful for God's gift of his law. But now as we turn to the final column, I hope you'll also be able to see a little bit more clearly the limits of that gift and why, why the Apostle Paul, when he's on the other side, why when he moves to column three, he is able to rejoice that much more in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, as I've indicated, this third part of salvation history begins fully at Pentecost, uh, when those who had given their allegiance to Jesus received the gift of the Holy Spirit, each and every one of them, just as every single believer from that point forward would receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This, Paul and others will insist... Is a, marks a radically new moment in salvation history. Uh, the Holy Spirit, they will say, it's, it's not just Torah 2.0. We haven't just replaced one guardian with another guardian. No. Paul says, in giving us his spirit, God has done something new and fresh and completely different. Through the victory of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of sin... Has been broken. If we are in Christ, Paul will say elsewhere, then we are participants now, right now today, in new creation. The old has gone, the old, broken and warped, has gone. The new has come. The theological term for this is regeneration. And for once, I'm happy to tell you that means pretty much like what you would expect it to mean that through the work of the Spirit, That part of our humanity, our human nature, that had been damaged and corrupted by sin has been made anew. It has been regenerated. Now, because of the work of the Spirit and the continued presence and leading of the Spirit in our lives, we can see clearly what is right and what is good. And for the first time since Eden, we have the freedom and the agency to choose it, and to keep choosing it, and to keep on choosing it. In other words, the Torah, holy and good, could only protect us. It was a protection from our own broken judgment. It could not fix us. But the victory of Jesus and the work of the Spirit have done what the Torah was unable to do. We have, friends, quite literally been raised to new life, in Christ Jesus I've compared this column as Paul does with being a fully mature adult as Paul the apostle reflects back on his life as he looks back on column 2 he sees now that life by the spirit was always the end goal toward which life under the torah pointed just as by analogy Uh, The end goal of parenting is to produce, to raise, a fully mature adult. Those who live by the Spirit no longer need a guardian to tell us not to sin. We are now able to see the path that leads to life, and with the Spirit's help, we can walk it. We can walk it. It's a double freedom. We are free on the one hand, from the self destruction and slavery to sin that characterized life in Column One. The victory of Jesus ended that. But we are free also, Paul says, from uh, custodianship under the law that characterized Column Two. We are fully human beings, filled with God's Spirit, freed and empowered to live in partnership with God. We live now by the Spirit. That's life in column three, our column. All right, I know that's been a lot already, but my hope is that is going to help us grasp better, more fully, the scale and importance of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that in turn, it helps us to understand why it is so important that we do not take that great gift for granted. Uh, And so to that end, Paul offers us three exhortations where he does what we're trying to do in our whole sermon series, right? He says, since you have received such a great gift in the Holy Spirit, it ought to change the way you live. And he offers three exhortations related to that I wanna touch on in Galatians 5, 13 to 25. So turn with me, if you would, to Galatians 5. I wanna touch on each one of those briefly as I close. Several verses, but I'm going to read through them here. Starting in Galatians 5, 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, neither are you under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. First, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit, we should absolutely not return to a life dominated by sin. It's verses 13, 16, and 17. Paul is saying, yes, you have received freedom through Christ Jesus, but don't abuse that freedom by engaging willfully in sin. If we do that, if we willfully go back, if, if we live in column three, but go, pretend as though we live in column one, if we have the spirit, if we know the difference between the path that leads to life and the one that leads to death, and then we live as though we don't, we, we are implicitly denying and rejecting the great gift that God has given us. It is, to use our langu- the language of our analogy, childish and immature to use your freedom for that. Worse, it's self-destructive and it's a willing return to slavery. I think back one more time to my opening scenario there. Yes, as an adult, you could live out uh, your childhood dream of living on dessert and only dessert all the time. But no mature adult would. And if they did, that choice would be a kind of rejection of maturity and adulthood. In the same way, Paul says, we should not abuse God's great gift by living as though we never received it. We live by the Spirit, we should not return to, to a life dominated by sin. Second, since we live by the Spirit, we should not return to life under the law. Look again at Galatians 5.18. If, if we live by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Now this one's a little bit harder to, to, to tease out But this is where I hope the analogies I've used today and our chart can help us better picture and better imagine the life that God has called us to in Christ. Paul is not saying that the Torah was bad or that it was a mistake or that it was wrong. The Torah was a good gift and a blessing, but it had a purpose in God's plan Paul alluded to this earlier in what we read in Galatians three twenty-three to 24. The law was there to help and instruct and protect Israel from the dangers of sin until the victory of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, when we receive through faith that great gift. The Torah was like a guardian both teaching us and protecting us, but like a guardian, the job was not to make us permanently dependent upon our guardian. The job was to prepare us for the freedom that lay ahead. Here again, Paul would say, you know, if you live in column three and you've received this great gift, but then you want to go back to pretending you live in column two, that too is a kind of rejection of God's great gift if we refuse to live in the freedom and power of the Spirit, we are denying what God has given us through faith. We have already received the greater gift, what God has, God has done through Christ and through his Spirit, what the law could never do. He has raised us to new life. Why, Paul asks, would we want to go back to living as though he hasn't? Why would we reject the freedom and power of the Spirit to return to life under the law? So Paul says, since you live by the Spirit, do not return to a life dominated by sin. Do not return to guardianship under the law. Instead, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in the freedom and power of the Spirit. Verses 22 to 25. I spent a lot of time thinking about How to how to land this, how to articulate this final point. I'm still not sure I've got the the best version worked out. But but here's I think what I want to say to you this morning. Look, once we were like children who needed a guardian, a guardian that protected us and instructed us. But we just we have to believe the Apostle Paul. We have to believe the experience of our own lives that something better has come. We have now grown into the future, the very good future that God intended for all Israel and for all people. Through the Spirit, we are no longer children in need of a guardian. God has invited us instead to be his partners in his kingdom work. Now, not equal partners. Don't leave here today telling people I said that. We are very, very junior partners But we are partners with God in his worldwide saving work. I I can't imagine a gift greater than that. If we live by the Spirit, if we will live by the Spirit, if we will step out in faith, if we will listen for his voice and look for his leading, we will not only live free from the power of sin, we will live as partners in the redeeming work of God. Now, I don't often give you homework but I'm going to give you homework this week. I mean, I'm never going to know if you do it or not, but you should still do it. It's good, it's good for you, I would say. Uh, because when I was thinking about, all right, I want a story to wrap this up, to illustrate the difference that it makes to live by the, by the Spirit, in the freedom and power of the Spirit. And I kept coming back to the fact that, that really I think what we need in our time, in our world, in our particular context... Our problem is we we struggle to imagine that, what that might look like and what that might be like. And I, I think what we ultimately need, what you need and I need, is we need the word of God, the truth of God, to reshape our minds and our imaginations. And so what I would assign to you this week is to read through the whole book of Acts. If possible, in one sitting, if you can't do one, try to keep it to two. Because what I would love for you to see is how the coming of the Spirit Spirit radically changes the way that the people of God live. And that is what the book of Acts is all about. The Spirit comes right away in chapter 2 at Pentecost, and everything that follows is the joy and excitement and energy and just awe of life by the Spirit. As God's people walk and live by the Spirit... They find that all of a sudden they are partners in an incredible work, something greater and more wonderful than they could ever imagine. Read that this week and let the word of God reshape your imagination for what it looks like to live as the people of God. I'll leave you with one example from Acts chapter 8. It's the story of Philip. Philip in Acts chapter 8, the story starts, an angel appears to Philip and says, Hey, I want you to leave the city and I want you to start walking this road. Philip says, okay, fine. And so he leaves the city, he starts out walking down the road. Uh, And as he's walking down the road, something happens to Philip that would never have happened just a little while ago, which is he feels the tugging of the Holy Spirit that now indwells Philip. And the Spirit says, Philip, you see that chariot down there? I want you to go down and just hang out, just loiter, just stand in the area around it. Now, I want to point out something here. If Philip's in column one, none of this is happening. If Philip's in column two, he's not going down. There's nothing in the law that would that would compel him to go down to that chariot. There's nothing in the law that would compel him to stand there and loiter there. In fact, the chariot is owned by an Ethiopian. A, Ethiopian, it turns out, of, of great importance. He manages the treasury. Uh, but from a Jewish point of view, he, he was outside the covenant. He was a Gentile. If anything, the law might tell you to be a little bit cautious about cozying up to a Gentile. But Philip lives by the Spirit. And he felt the Spirit telling him, just go down there and hang out. And so Philip does. He goes down, he's, you know, just hanging out by the chariot, just kind of waiting, looking around, looking around. And as he looks around, you know, the corner of his eye, he notices that the important man in the chariot is reading the scroll of Isaiah. And so Philip, following the Spirit's lead here, just says to the man, hey, I see you're reading the scroll of Isaiah. Do do you understand what the prophet is talking about? And the Ethiopian, we imagine, with, with some frustration maybe, puts down the scroll and says, well, of course I don't understand it. How could I possibly understand this unless somebody explained it to me? And Philip says, well, as it happens, I could explain to you exactly what this scroll is about. And the Ethiopian says, please, explain it to me. And Acts tells us that beginning with Isaiah, Philip walks him through how the prophet Isaiah pointed ahead to the person of Jesus And he proceeds to tell the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus Christ. And then he gets to watch, I have to imagine, just shocked, as this Ethiopian, somebody who who two minutes ago could make no sense, heads or tails, out of the scroll of Isaiah. He watches as this man's heart is convicted of the truth of what Philip says. He watches as the Spirit of God does a miracle in the mind and heart of this other person. And he's part of that. He doesn't just witness it. He is a part of how that happens. And he then gets to minutes later as they're traveling down the road together. It's the Ethiopian who says, hey, I see some water. Do you see any reason why I can't be baptized? And Philip says, absolutely not. Friends, that is life by the Spirit. That is walking in the freedom and the power of the Spirit. It is one thing to be protected from sin, to steer clear from sin and wrongdoing. It is another thing altogether to enter into partnership with the sovereign Lord of all creation and to be an instrument and witness in his work to build his kingdom. And yet that is exactly what God has invited us into through the gift of his spirit. Friends, since since he has already given us his spirit, Let us live by the Spirit. Let us walk in the freedom and power of the Spirit of God. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning and I confess that, Lord, I need my imagination to be reshaped by your word and by your Spirit. God, I was convicted this week as I prepared that as I look through the book of Acts, that my, my horizons, my expectations are too small. They are far too small to accommodate the great gift that we have in the Holy Spirit. God, you, you have poured out your Spirit on us, on every single person who has given their allegiance to Jesus. You have invited us into a life of partnership, into a life in the freedom and power of the Spirit. God, forgive us when we are intimidated by that. Forgive us when we can't quite imagine or picture what that has in store for us, I pray, Lord, that you would reshape our hearts and our minds and our expectations, and that you would give us courage and boldness, Father, so that we might live in partnership with you, so that we might walk in the freedom and the power of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.